Thank you, Chris. Thank you for leading and singing. Remember uh, that next week we are going to be looking at the martyr church and the uh, uh, hearing stories about that. So uh, uh, you know, keep that in mind as we do that next week. See, the last few weeks we've been looking at the subject of the heart of God. See, you and I hold in our hands the words of Scripture. God wants to communicate to us. Yes, He wants to have a heart-to-heart conversation with us. If you think He does not want to, just read through the stories of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Check it out in the stories of Adam, Noah, Abraham, Jacob, Joshua, Moses, Samuel, David, all the prophets. He wanted to communicate something to us all throughout the scriptures. But God is grieved. Grieved that his creation has chosen to disregard him. They've chosen to disobey him. They've chosen to walk away from knowing him. See, last Sunday we were introduced to a prophet named Hosea. God used Hosea's own life and his relationship with his wife to communicate to his chosen people how they had abandoned him. They decided to abandon the worship of the Almighty God and chased after gods of wood and stone. God even chose the names of Hosea's children so that when the people heard those names, their minds would be rattled. Think about a name like Jezreel. She was one of the most hated people in all of Israel. Evil is what that name entails. The second was a daughter. Means not loved. Being called not loved. The third was a son. Not my people. That's what a name meant. Just think about it as people heard those names in the village square. See, even at the bleakest of times and amidst the darkest of deeds, God is reaching out to his chosen people. He wants them to come back to him. So as we read the scriptures, there are two questions I'd like you to ask yourself. What is God communicating in this passage? How is this passage applicable to me? Today we want to take a look at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 10. A very familiar portion of scripture. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25 and all the way through 37. Verse 25 reads, and I'm reading from the uh, New Living Translation. One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and all your might. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his action, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, and beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant, in your Bibles it may say Levite, walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion on him. Going over to him, the, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where they took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I am here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked that. The man replied, the one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we read this passage of scripture, open our hearts and minds as to what you want us to do with it. Help us not only to understand it, but help us to practice it in our lives too. We pray, Father, that the words of scripture would change us. And not only these words, but every word in scripture would alter our lives so that we are in line with you and your, your heart and your mind. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. See, here we see a person who was an expert in religious law. He's coming to Jesus with a question of eternal consequence. We did not know if he was really seeking for an answer. But we do know how Jesus responds. Jesus responds with a question. And the question is such that it would elicit an answer from the, the lawyer's own knowledge base. The lawyer knew everything about the law of Moses. So he asked him, what does it say? The lawyer responds with a statement that seems to answer his own question. His knowledge of the Ten Commandments allowed him to condense it down into a two-pronged statement. It characterized the person's responsibility towards God and towards fellow human beings. See, he may have surmised that from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5 which reads, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and with all your strength. And then Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 reads, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
When Jesus asked him to go and practice what he had just said, the learned lawyer felt the need to take the conversation to a different level. So he asked the question, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Notice that this lawyer did not contest the first part of his statement. He was sure he was righteously following the Mosaic law and his duty towards God. So instead of brushing him off and telling him, go look around, find your neighbor, Jesus answers his question with the story of the Good Samaritan. This story, knowingly or unknowingly, has made its way into many areas of our society. The name Good Samaritan is most prominently seen in names of medical facilities, welfare institutions, or social programs. There is also what is called a Good Samaritan law. If you were to offer help to a person, give them reasonable assistance, they could not sue you because of this Good Samaritan law. So, the word Good Samaritan is something that everybody in society knows. They may not know who is a Good Samaritan. In this story, we see a Jewish man traveling alone from Jerusalem to Jericho. This road was notorious for its danger and difficulty and had earned the reputation as the way of blood. We are not told the reason for his travel. Maybe he went to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. Maybe he had gone there to sell some goods and was returning with a pile of cash. One thing we know from the story is that he was traveling alone. Lonely travelers are an easy target for a group of bandits or a gang of thieves. Their intent was not only to rob him, but also to gravely injure him, such that that person would die. It was a savage attack. See, left to die, help approached in the form of one of his own, a priest a priest who would normally care for his own people was the first on the scene. Unfortunately for the dying man, this priest may have surmised that because of his lack of medical knowledge, he could not attend to the injured. Moreover, he had no extra supplies. He was on a mission. He had to get somewhere before nightfall. Or he too would experience the fate of this man. He probably prayed for the man and hoped someone else would come along and tend to this injured man. The next person to come along was a Levite or a temple assistant. Very likely he was headed home after his course of service at the temple. He had participated in the worship service prepared the offerings, maintained the temple. He was duty-bound to serve in the temple, and he had done it well. Caring for an injured man on a lonely, dangerous road, that was a different matter. See, hope faded as the injured man heard the sound of the man's footsteps fading away in the distance. 
the agony and pain was only enhanced by the fact that two of his own had abandoned him. Was he being left to die? He thought to himself. Mount Everest is the tallest peak on earth. However, Mount K2, which also lies in the Himalayan range, is the most difficult and dangerous to climb. It has gained notoriety as a savage mountain. So for every 20 people that summit Everest, only one gets the summit K2. Mohammed Hassan was a porter on one of these expeditions this summer. On July 27th, he slipped and fell at a dangerous point on the face of the mountain. Drone footage has emerged of dozens of fellow climbers carefully walking over the seriously injured 27-year-old as they continued in their ascent to the summit. There was no rescue operation, although they were experienced climbers and mountain guides on site. No one felt responsible for him. A living human being was left dying so that records could be set and personal dreams accomplished. Two people, a priest and a Levite, who had been called to minister at the temple, thought they had just fulfilled their obligation to their religious practices. They had dressed the right part, did the right thing, and even said the right words. They lived by a ritual of works. But once they left the temple, their obligation was done. Are we like that? Do I attend a church service? Because it's on my checklist of things to do this week. Do I read a passage of scripture every day? But never stop to think how that applies to me. How would it impact my life this day? I wonder what goes through the mind of a person when all hope is gone. What goes through your mind? The injured man was lying there. What went through his mind? Hope materialized in the form of an unexpected source. A man from Samaria, a Samaritan, stopped to help. We do not know if the injured man recognized the stranger because the Bible tells us that he was left half dead. Now, who are the Samaritans? See, after King Solomon's death, the nation of Israel was divided into two. Israel, composed of ten tribes in the north, and the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, became known as Judah. Now, Samaria became the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel. All the Jews were supposed to go to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and worship at the temple. That Jerusalem was in Judea. Rehoboam, who was king of Israel, set up two places of worship in Dan and Bethel. 
high places. He did that so that the people would not go down to Jerusalem. They wanted, he wanted to provide an outlet for the people to go and worship. God had never said anything about going to Dan and Bethel to worship. Almost all of the kings of Israel veered away from the worship of the living God. Soon these places became idol worship places. The punishment that God gave them was that others came in and conquered them. The Assyrians came in. The Assyrians came in and conquered Israel. They stripped the land of its people and its possessions. The Jews who were left behind intermarried with the Assyrians. And they also took on some of their religious practices. At some point, this people group became known as the Samaritans. From the, from the capital, the name of the capital, Samaria. Eventually, the religion of the Samaritans evolved to a point that they believed the books of the law. The five, first five books of the Bible. They, they disregarded everything else. They had also some skewed religious practices. And, the, and because of those skewed religious practices and them intermingling with the Assyrians, the Jews hated them. Adding to that, we can see that when the Jews returned from exile, and you can read this in uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, they returned from uh, exile and they were trying to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans were a constant source of irritation for them. Needless to say, there was no love between these two groups. So caught in the hatred of such, such, a, uh, uh, such uh, caught in the crosshairs of such a hatred, will a Samaritan help a Jew? Will a Jew accept help from a Samaritan? The injured Jewish man had to make a choice. He could accept help from a Samaritan, or reject the only help that was available at this time. The stark choice between life and death confronted him at this dark hour. The Samaritan traveler also made a choice. He chose to help the injured Jewish man. Jesus tells this righteous religious lawyer that it was a Samaritan who had compassion on the injured Jew. He cared about providing for him. First aid, first, and then provisions for him. So he transports him on his own donkey and takes him to an inn for rest and recuperation. Now, question for you. Multiple choice. Which inn did you think the Samaritan went to? Was it the Hampton Inn? The kosher inn or the Samaritan inn? As I was preparing for this talk, I remembered an incident that happened to me. It was already late evening. This is more than 50 years ago. I was supposed to get together with some of my friends to study for the exams. So I took a bus from Baikala to Bandra. But the last bus from Bandra to Kurla had already left. I decided to walk 
the two or three miles to my destination. The race star road had no walking path, no street lights lit my pathway. Today this road is a major highway with skyscrapers on either side. There was not a soul in sight. All I could hear was the croaking of frogs. Huge drainage pipes were placed along the side of the creek, awaiting construction crew. Darkness and solitude were my only companions that night. As I bounded to my destination with a hasty step, a tingling of fear arrested my bravado as I saw the silhouette of a man emerging from the drainage pipe. <coughs> my heart pounded as I clutched my books and reached for my weapon, a plastic ballpoint pen. <laughs> I donned my suit of courage as a man came into view. Addressing me in Hindi, he says, Beta, is time kaha ja raha hai? Meaning, son, where are you going at this time? Realizing that he was a police officer, I told him my destination. And he proceeded to tell me that there were robberies and stabbings on this very road two days prior. He assured me that I was safe. I continued my journey based on the assurance he had given me, relieved at that assurance that he had given me too. I remember seeing tiny glows in the darkness, red glows in the darkness. I figured there were cops behind trees and drainage pipes who were smoking. I was glad for that assurance from that undercover police officer that I could go the rest of the way without fear under the watchful eye of the Bombay police. See, in spite of my foolish decisions that day, God had protected me. See, from the content of this parable, there are a couple of things we, we know about the Samaritan man. He had compassion. This man had compassion. He was willing to risk his life to save another man. Willing to risk his life. The nationality of the person did not matter to him. Did not matter. He was willing also to be inconvenienced to help another man. He was willing also to use his own resources to help a stranger. He was trusted by others. The innkeeper let him leave. And he told the innkeeper that, hey, when I come back next time, if there's anything more, I'll pay the bill. He also was a frequent traveler, so he knew the road. This parable that Jesus gave us 
is something that rings through society, as I said. But the parable is a story with a greater meaning. What is the point of Jesus telling this story? He was intended to make that Jewish lawyer think. That Jewish lawyer had righteously kept the law. At least he thought he did. Jesus is pointing out that he only followed part of the law. The lawyer had put his faith in following the law. Jesus is pointing out the hollowness of his action. See, the priests and the Levites had also followed the law. They did their duty at the temple. They thought that that would help them move up the, the righteousness scale. Scripture tells us that all our righteousness is but filthy rags before a holy God. See, the priests and the Levites represent the law. Jesus is telling this learned lawyer that the law was incapable, incapable of saving a person. Religious activity never brings any salvation. It does not bring any salvation. We are reminded in in Paul's writings to the Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. None of us, none of us can boast about it. See, in this parable, Jesus is that good Samaritan. He is the only one who provides hope when all hope is gone. He has compassion on us. He is the one who provides medicine for our wounded lives. He is the one who provides us shelter in the storm. He is the one who paid the price for us. Like the Samaritan, Jesus was despised and rejected by his own people. That injured uh, Jewish man had a choice. He could either accept the help of the Samaritan or reject it. Similarly, you and I have a choice. We can either accept Jesus or reject it. See, we started this talk saying that God yearns to have a heart-to-heart conversation with us. God has put it in words in the scripture, but he's also provided the ultimate sacrifice. He sent his only son to die for our sins. Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice for us. In John 3.16, The words of John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. See what it says. Everyone. He didn't say just the Jews. In this story we also see a Samaritan. And throughout 
the, uh, the uh, Gospels, we can see how Jesus brings in the story about the Samaritan. He went to a Samaritan woman at the well with the Gospel. Jesus wants everyone to believe. God so loved the whole world, not just one people group. For this, for this lawyer, the parable had a jarring meaning because help came from a group that he despised, the Samaritans. We are not told how the lawyer reacted to this message. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But in my opinion, I think this man was really seeking Jesus. He was seeking for an answer. So Jesus took time, took time to answer his question. This parable is recorded for us because there were other disciples or apostles there. They heard the story. And it's very likely that they had a lot of questions for Jesus. Dr. Shivan Natarajan has written a book. The name of the book is Believe, Just Believe, Baby Steps of a Believer. And it's about his own conversion experience. And he writes, All the problem is with man-made religion, not God-sent Christ. I too was trapped in this game of religion rather than seeking God. But what I realized from my experience is when you separate re religious rituals from the, from the deity and person of Christ, you see a whole different world. You just see the love of God and His free grace and mercy. And that alone is true belief. Not a religious work. To truly believe, one really needs to renounce religion. But, take up faith. He goes on to write, Religion corrupts, truth cures. Belief in Christ is a miracle in everyone's life. The belief sets you free and brings you and brings you salvation. Salvation is by faith and faith alone. In Christ alone is where you find salvation. If today you've not found that salvation in Christ, this is an opportunity for you to come to Him, to know Him, get to know Christ, and put your faith in Him. If you're already a believer, we as Christians have an opportunity to minister to the larger world. We are a reflection of Christ. There is a American writer by the name of Edith Wharton. About 102 years ago, she became the first woman to win the Pulitzer Prize in literature. She writes, there are two ways of spreading light. Two ways of spreading light. To be the candle or the mirror that reflects it. Christ is that candle. 
Christ is that, is that candle. Can we be the mirror that reflects it to the rest of the world? There are a lot of hopeless cases just like this man who was injured. And we can say, oh, how can I help all these people? I can't. One at a time. But the grace that God has given you and the strength He has given you, I pray that you would be able to do that. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of Scripture that you have given us. Father, you have spoken to our hearts. We pray, Father, for your hand upon us this day as we heed your word. Help us to not only just understand it, but help us to practice it in our lives. We pray, Father, for your hand of blessing on us as we depart from here. Be with us as we fellowship here together for this time of lunch that has been provided. So uh, delicious meals that have been prepared by a lot of folks here. We thank you, Father, for that and the provisions that you have given us. We are thankful, Father, for all your provisions for us, but above all, thank you for your sacrifice on the cross for us. Be with us, we pray, this day. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.